Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Bethel. Uh, good to see you here this morning. Uh, it seems like the seasons are changing on us just a little bit. Don't groan too much. Uh, especially if this is your first time with us, we're glad you could be here to worship God. Uh, thanks to the worship team. I just, great music selection for what I'm preaching today. So I was like, wow, that's wow, great. Good stuff. Um, before I jump into uh, our sermon today, I just want to give you a few quick announcements. Uh, since it is August, you might be thinking about the future uh, seasons and what uh, it's going to come here with uh, winter and all that. And uh, maybe you've even considered uh, how you're going to get more connected here at church and maybe even find a place of service. Uh, I just want to draw your attention to a few things uh, that we're going to have going up because you know uh, fall is go time here in Alaska. Uh, one of the things we're going to be doing is um, having a small group informational meeting uh, next Sunday between services. And this is not for returning group leaders. So if you're a returning group leader, this is not for you. This is for people who've never led a group before. A small group is, is uh, a group of maybe anywhere from 8 to up to 20 people, say, who gather together in people's homes uh, for fellowship, for Bible study. Uh, it's how we do church. And if you think, hmm, maybe uh, I could open my home up and uh, be a part of that, and you want to find out what's involved in being a small group host, we're just going to have a brief 10-minute meeting between services next week. Uh, also, I see Brent Curtis here proudly wearing the yellow Awana colors here. Uh, we are uh, recruiting people for Awana. Uh, this is uh, one of our flagship ministries, I believe, here at Bethel for Families. It's uh, basically, I kind of describe it to people as a combination of somewhere Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts means scripture memory. It uh, has fun uh, activities and games, but it's really geared on getting our kids to treasure God's word in their hearts. So if you are interested in uh, possibly serving with that, it's, it's a powerhouse of a ministry. Brent will talk with you out at the Awana table out there. Uh, and then just the last kind of ministry thing I want to draw your attention to is uh, next Sunday uh, or next Saturday at the men's breakfast, we're going to be discussing uh, our plans for ministry for the upcoming year. So uh, if you'd like to be involved in men's ministry this next year, I encourage you to come out next Saturday morning. Well, let me just pray, and then we'll get into God's word here. Lord, uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, that you did um, come down from heaven, Lord, uh, to take on flesh, to die on a cross, uh, to be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. As we open your word and, and think about uh, your sacrifice today and, and about what you call us to do in this world, I pray that you just give us attentive hearts, uh, bring things to mind that are in our own lives that you want to pinpoint. Uh, help us to digest your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, there are a few places in Scripture that compare living the Christian life to, of, of all things, running a marathon. In other words, our lives following Jesus at certain times and in certain ways can be like running an endurance race. Some of you are like, yeah, I know that, right? Uh, some of you might have run in an endurance race, maybe the uh, midnight sun run or maybe a marathon or maybe you haven't. But I think that we all kind of see the connection between these two very challenging things at times, these endurance races and running the Christian life. Uh, we're going to look at one of these passages in Scripture today that picks up this endurance race metaphor. And I'm going to hone in on one specific aspect of running the Christian race. But before I do that, uh, we're going to watch a little video because I want us to consider or remember what it's like to run a race of endurance.
Whoops. Did I hit something there? Whoop. Okay. Well, can you relate? Uh, you see some parallels there between uh, running an endurance race and at times running the, the Christian endurance race. Uh, you start out all excited and, and uh, you, you hit some hills and you're like, yeah, okay, we can do this, God. Let's do this. And uh, as you keep on running, you're like, man, what's going on here? You face that shock and, and sometimes even feels like isolation. Uh, but the one part that I want us to focus on today is that last part that I stopped us at. Uh, the last stage was hitting the wall, right? And running, you hit the wall when you, your body depletes itself of all its energy sources, and maybe mentally you get fatigued as well, and you just say, man, I don't think I can go on. I just feel like giving up and quitting. And maybe even at some point in our Christian endurance race, we feel like we hit the wall. Uh, we feel like giving up. Maybe our run with God started out great early on, and maybe we've even come through some difficulties and trials and hills and that kind of thing. Uh, but as time goes on, we might be finding ourselves getting a little bit weary. Uh, maybe, for example, you've endured a long, uh, discouraging battle with your health that doesn't seem to get better. Or maybe you've had some hope or ambition that never quite panned out. And you ask, you know, why should I keep on going strong in my faith? when it doesn't seem to be helping me out in this area of my life. Or maybe you've just gotten discouraged by living in a very hostile world in which we, we live, when even our friends on Facebook are calling us right-wing, homophobic, unloving, uh, because we believe that the Bible is clear that homosexual activity is sinful. And maybe we're just getting tired of the noise and all the pushback from the world around us, and we say, you know, what's to gain by making a big fuss here? I'm just going to head underground with my faith. And I think that really for most of us, our temptation is not so much to totally abandon our faith in Jesus and become atheists or something like that. But I think we're tempted on giving up on our, letting our faith be the most important part of our life. We give up on letting our faith be vibrant 
and important. And we say, you know, let's just settle for a watered-down version of Christianity. You know, something that will still kind of get us into heaven, but won't create too many waves for us while we're fighting out these other areas of our life. And so we're going to look at the very important question today of, how do you endure in your faith when you feel like giving up? Uh, To put it another way, how do you go the distance in this Christian endurance race when you feel like you're hitting the wall? How do you run this race of life well to the end? That's what we want to know. And fortunately for us, we're not the only ones who've ever asked these questions. The book of Hebrews was largely written just to address those kinds of things. And the background, I'll just give you a brief background of the book of Hebrews. It was written to a group of Jewish followers of Jesus. Uh, They possibly were in maybe a house church or something like that in Rome or some other large city. We don't know the exact location. And uh, they were following Jesus, and just like in the video, they started out really well. Uh, They had endured some difficulties, some trials, but as time was going on, uh, it was a war of attrition. They were getting tuckered out. They said, you know what, we're facing persecution because we're following Jesus now. And they felt like they were hitting the wall in their own faith. They said, why don't we just go back and maybe settle for a watered-down version of our own faith uh, where we don't have to face so much persecution uh, from their Facebook friends, so to speak. Um, Let's make it easier on ourselves. And they wanted to know the same thing that we probably want to know, or some of us want to know, is, well, how do we endure in in our faith when we feel like giving up? Well, we're going to look at the answer. It's going to be in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, if you want to get out your Bibles and follow along with us. Uh, We're going to be just taking on the first three verses of the chapter there. So it's Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I'll give you a second to turn over there. And we're going to read the whole passage together. It's pretty short. And just look at our question today. Okay, so in Hebrews... Chapter 12, the writer of the book, and we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, wrote to these Jewish believers who are following Jesus and who are hitting the wall, and he gave them some words of encouragement, saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who rather than the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. Let's unpack that a little bit here. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Jewish believers and telling them how to endure in their faith, even though they feel like giving up. He starts verse 1 with a very important word. It says, therefore, right? And you know when you see, therefore, that we're missing something that came before. Because if you say, therefore, go to the store, okay? You said something just before you said, go to the store, right? So what is the therefore all about here at the start of chapter 12? Uh, The context of chapter 12, verse 1, is really the entire chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, And if you're familiar with this particular part of the New Testament, you know that this is a very uh, well-known passage. Uh, Hebrews 11 is sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith uh, because in it we get this almost a laundry list of other saints from the Old Testament 
who have run the race well, uh, this Christian endurance race well, in faith. And it mentions, we're not going to read chapter 11, but it mentions Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. And then the list just goes on and on and on of these people who had faith. And uh, it's this crowd of Old Testament believers that makes up the cloud of witnesses that is mentioned in chapter 12, verse 1 here. So the writer is, just starts off by saying, you know, remember here, this great cloud of witnesses that's gone before you and has had to live a life of faith. They've run this race well, this endurance race well, and I'm about to let you in on the secrets to having an enduring faith. This is what he's telling them. And the writer of Hebrews, his first point really, he says, if you want to go the distance with God, you've got to drop dead weight. Verse 1, reading it again, says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. So the first secret in running with endurance is just to drop dead weight. Get rid of that stuff that holds you back. Well, what kind of stuff? Uh, the writer of Hebrews mentions two particular kinds of dead weight. The first, he says, is just everything that hinders. And that's pretty generic, right? Everything. Uh, but the idea here is that in the ancient world, uh, runners would often strip down and get rid of anything encumbering them. And we see this a lot in sports today, too. Uh, say if you have someone who's really into outdoorsy kinds of things, and maybe they're going to say, hey, I'm going to go hike the Chilkoot Trail. And that's, you know, for most people, probably a few-day hike. Uh, they're going to get their backpack together. And uh, you know that they're going to debate over every item that goes in that backpack. Hmm, do I really need this, that, or the other? Can I make it lighter? Can I make it just easier for my long journey here? And you know they're probably going to buy the most high-tech, lightweight gear possible because they know I've got a journey of a few days ahead of me on back, and this is all that's kind of uh, keeping me back from that. Uh, another example of that is uh, in college, I had a roommate named Brian. He was a swimmer. And this seemed a little strange to me at the time, but when the swimmers at my school got uh, time to the championship races at the, uh, the end of the season, uh, they would shave off their arm and leg hair, even the guys, uh, because they didn't want the resistance in the water to hold them back. And this was something that was uh, you know, just totally up to them. No one required them to do it. It showed a pretty high commitment to the sport, though. There's no judge or official saying, hey, you haven't shaved your arms and legs, you can't swim today, right? Uh, it was something that they chose to do themselves so that they wouldn't be held back. And that's the kind of thing that the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these people to do here. He says, take a look at your lives. Go through your backpack. Check it out and see what you got in there and throw off anything that hinders and I think that there's a real good application point for us here, too. If we feel like we're getting kind of worn out in our faith, like it's lacking some vibrancy, and we're hitting the wall, uh, we need to examine our own lives and say, well, what are we giving all our time and money uh, and effort and attention to that might be holding us back or slowing us down or taking away our edge in the Christian race? And notice we're not even talking about sinful stuff here yet. We're talking just about anything, even things that are good or neutral in and of themselves. Anything that can become a barrier to our spiritual life. Uh, I'm going to choose a kind of an odd example for this, because uh, I don't want people to say, oh, you, you singled me out here in the sermon. Let's say you have a hobby, 
and your hobby is ping pong, okay? Now, most of us probably wouldn't think that ping pong is something that distracts us from our spiritual life. But let's say your hobby becomes a passion, and your passion for ping pong becomes an absolute obsession. Uh, before you know it, you, find, you look at your receipts, and you find out that you've been spending $1,000 on a titanium-edged paddle. And uh, you don't have time to, to read your Bible or, or anything like that in the morning to have a prayer time because you've got to read the latest articles on how to get the perfect spin uh, on, on your hits in ping pong. And then you're skipping church every other week to watch ping pong championships from around the world just because you have to get your ping pong in. Is ping pong bad or sinful in and of itself? No, uh, but it could be something that starts to hold you back. So that's one thing for us to consider. Not just ping pong, but put your own thing in there, right? Uh, if we're feeling weary in the Christian race. Is there something good or even neutral that's gotten to the point where it's holding us back spiritually? If so, it's time to jettison that dead weight. We don't want to let the good keep us away from God's best. Now, uh, the second kind of dead weight that the author mentions is the sin that so easily entangles. And it seems almost like a no-brainer. If we're going to get rid of this even good or neutral stuff that can hold us back and weigh us down, how much more so something that clings to us and tangles us up? Now, uh, in race terms, uh, habitually holding on to sin and not dealing with it, I think is kind of like trying to run a marathon or an endurance race with your shoelaces tied together. Could you do it? Man, theoretically, I guess so. You could maybe kind of hop your way along, but uh, it would be hard. Uh, it'd be difficult. You'd get worn out. You'd probably fall a lot. Uh, I'd probably try to hop it if I were doing it with my uh, shoes tied. Uh, but you might get to the point where you just say, you know what, it's just not the worth the effort. I'm going to quit the race altogether. So the author of Hebrews says to throw off this stuff too, especially the sin that so easily entangles. And I know that some of you might be saying, man, that's easier said than done. It's not that just that easy to rip this stuff off of me. You'd say, man, I'm just embroiled in pornography. Or I just can't control my anger. Or I'm just dealing with, I have to have a drink every day, and I have to drink a lot every day. It's not easy to get untangled from sin. And I hear you, I'm not naive. Uh, it can be hard to get untangled. This says right here, it's, it's easily entangles. But I will give you some practical things that you could do uh, if you find yourself there. Uh, first off, we got a class going on right now during adult Sunday school. It's during second hour, so you can still make it there, uh, called uh, The Mortification of Sin uh, for Believers. And it's an old book written by John Owen. It talks about how we all have a daily struggle uh, fighting with sin, and it's that it's God's empowerment that helps us in this and enables us to do that. Come up there and we'll learn together. Another thing you can do if you find yourself entangled in sin is don't try to go it alone. Get help from another brother or sister in Christ. And uh, I just want to ask you here, you know, ladies, who are you connected to here at Bethel Church? Do you have some other women in your life who can speak spiritual truth to you, check in on you, challenge you, and that you can do the same for them? If not, uh, start coming to Regenerator events or women's studies. Join a small group. You know I'm going to hit that hard. Uh, and I ask the same thing to men. Uh, you know, spirituality is not just for women. Who are you connected to? What other guys can you share spiritual things with on where you're at and your growth 
in your life. Uh, if not, we've got to get connected to one another. God designed us to be in part of a body. Uh, we have this men's breakfast coming up next week. We've got a men's retreat coming in uh, first week in October. We need to connect ourselves so that we can untangle one another. And another option, too, if you find yourself entangled in sin, is just to mark on your zip strip, right? Uh, have a pastor contact me. Uh, Eric or Mark or I will be glad to hear your story and what's going on, and we'll try to connect you uh, with someone who's maybe uh, had similar issues or can help you in, with whatever you're going through. But whatever you do, don't settle for trying to run the Christian race with your shoes tied together. If we want to go the distance with God, we first have to drop dead weight, sinful stuff, and even the good and neutral stuff that holds us back. Now, the second thing, the second secret we need to learn if we're going to endure in our race is we need to learn how to run like Jesus. We'll read verses 2 and 3 again. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who rather than the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. And the whole point of these uh, two verses here, verses 2 and 3, is to point to Jesus as our example for how we ought to run our race. So let's uh, talk about just that last part of verse 1 and first part of verse 2. It says, Let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What does it mean that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith? It means, really, that he's the paradigm to show, what, show us what it means to live by faith. The entire chapter 11 is about faith. It's this long list of Old Testament saints who are living by faith. And now, in kind of a crescendo kind of fashion here, the author of Hebrews is bringing us to the ultimate example of faith, Jesus himself. He's not just the pioneer of faith. He's the one who brought it to perfection. In other words, he's the embodiment of everything we know, need, everything we need to know about living a life of faith. And so we need to ask, what's his example? If we're supposed to run like him and follow his example, how did he run his endurance race? And the answer is there in verse 2. It says, Rather than the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the example that he sets for us. Now, many of you who are following along in your Bibles right now are saying, hey, wait a minute, it says in my Bible that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Why do you say rather than the joy set before him? Good, that's a fair question. Let me explain why I chose to translate the verse this way. Uh, It's getting a little technical, but I think it's worth it here. The word that uh, most English translations render for the joy set before him is a Greek word. It's anti, and we actually get a lot of English root words from this, usually as a prefix like antimatter, anticlimactic, antichrist. It's anti in English. And the debate in this particular passage is do you translate anti as for the joy or rather than the joy? And I'll put my cards on the table Uh, Even though most of the uh, modern English translations choose to go with for the joy, I think that uh, some of the scholars who weigh in on this, like uh, Leon Morris for one, 
are right when they argue that rather than is actually a better translation of what's intended. Uh, and I'll give you two reasons why I think that. Uh, first, the translation in the place of or rather than, that's the most basic translation for that particular word. It's kind of unusual to translate it as for. And uh, on that same note, the, the writer of Hebrews has a real strong command of Greek, so it would surprise me if he would choose to kind of use a, um, a lesser-used translation for that, uh, for that word. And second, uh, I believe that rather than uh, fits the context of chapter 11, which is all about faith here. Uh, think here. In chapter 11, it mentions about how Abraham obeyed the voice of God. He goes out to this place that he doesn't know rather than stay in his home country among his own countrymen and family. Moses, who chose to be mistreated with the people of God, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. It's this constant picturing of people who don't go for what's immediate and seen, but go for what's not immediate and not always seen. And the writer of Hebrews is building up momentum in this hall of faith, all through chapter 11, to bring us to the perfect example of faith, Jesus himself. And Jesus' demonstration of a life of faith is expressed primarily by this tough choice that he makes. He could have taken the easy way as creator, right? He could have just taken the joy set before him, which was already in his grasp. But instead, he chose the hard way. He took on flesh. He endured the cross. Rather than the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the essence of how Jesus and about how you and I are supposed to run. We're not supposed to just sell, settle on the easy way out, which is right here in front of us, but God wants us to share in what Christ has done by pushing through these difficulties to get God's best. We're urged to get this mindset of Jesus, to follow that pattern, and to push on through. And verse 3 here in chapter 12 is really an expansion of that thought in verse 2. Verse 2 shows us what it means to run like Jesus, but verse 3 gives us the result, which is endurance. Read with me in verse 3. It says, Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. And that first word there, think, it's, this is not a casual word here. It doesn't mean think like in a kind of passive, daydreamy kind of way. It kind of means more like count it up, do the math, do your homework and dig in. Meditate on this and let it sink in. And the reason why the author of Hebrews wants these weary Jewish believers to consider Jesus' own race and how he ran it is because there's a comparison that he wants to draw for them. The comparison that he wants them to arrive at is Jesus endured much worse things than they themselves were going through. And that, in an odd way, uh, I think should be encouraging to us. We are not asked to being, uh, we're not asked to lay aside the privileges of deity uh, to die for sinful humanity in an unjust fashion. We're not being asked as the creator to have our creation evilly reject us. Our burdens whatever they may be, and they can seem awfully hard, granted, uh, but they're a lot less in comparison to the example that Jesus gives us. And when we take on that same attitude of Jesus and choose the tough things for God rather than the easy way out here and now, 
when we consider that our trials and discouragements are not as bad as what Jesus endured, it results in us having endurance, that we get faith that we don't grow weary to the point where we want to give up. We learn to go the distance with God. We get that endurance as we drop our dead weight and as we run like Jesus did, choosing to endure the tough stuff to get the prize. Now, I want to wrap up uh, just by talking about the the marathon video that we watched at the the front end of the sermon here. Uh, I mentioned to you that Scripture compares the Christian life to running a marathon. But I also hope that uh, our video left you a little bit on edge like it did me because, in truth, we didn't watch the whole video. Uh, We just stopped it at the wall, right? That was mile 22. Uh, But for those of you who know marathons, they're not 22 miles. They're 26.2 miles. So that poor guy in the cartoon still had 4.2 miles uh, to go to the end of his race there. Um, You know, the thing about uh, quitting a marathon at at mile 22 is you don't get any closure. You don't get any peace of mind. Uh, We all think, I think we all know that there's something just not right about it. Now, uh, last year, let me tell you a little story. Uh, I trained for the Equinox Marathon uh, to not run it, shall we say complete it, because uh, there's Esther Dome in the middle, and that's like a big hill. Um, and I learned firsthand what it means to hit the wall physically and mentally. And I thought, you know, I trained, got my game on, but there's always surprises, right? Uh, last year it happened to be a pretty wet summer, if you can even call it a summer, right? So uh, as I'm running along, I'm thinking, I've got to get past Esther Dome, got to get past Esther Dome. Uh, it's raining, but I wear glasses. So around my late, I couldn't see anything. It was just water, and my shirt's so wet, I can't even want my glasses clean, so got to take off my glasses and kind of tuck them, and I'm running. Okay, I hope I'm on the trail. Uh, around mile 13, uh, the rain was steady enough. It wasn't super heavy, but it was steady enough that I was completely drenched. And I mean, all the way through, no square inch of clothing was dry, including my socks and my shoes. So it was squish, 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 all the way through the rest of it. And so Esther Dome's in the middle, Mentally, I'm thinking Esther Dome, so that's all I'm thinking about. I walk up, make it past that. There's a dangerous downhill park called the Chute. Made it down that without breaking a leg, was so glad. Uh, and then I thought, this is the easy part now. Now I know that the, the hill's behind me, but amazingly, that's actually the part that got to be the most discouraging. Uh, if you go to the Equinox Marathon online, they have this almost glowing uh, description of the course. And it says, now you'll be going through a gently downhill sloped forest trail and everything. I'm thinking, I can't wait to get to that forest trail because I know the worst is behind me. Let me tell you, it was not a gently sloping trail. It was a mudslide. (laughs) I could not keep my shoes on the trail, literally. I had to crawl through, not on my hands and knees, but I had to go through the brush next to the trail because I would slip right off that thing into that beautiful forest down the hill. And when I got past that, I thought, okay, I'm back, back on solid ground here. Just got some flats to go through. Flats should be easy. But I hit the wall around mile 21, 22. Um, there's a place next to Gold Hill Road where you're running the power lines. And that's where I hit the mud. It was flat. You're not supposed to slip on the flat. You're supposed to slip when you're going downhill or uphill or something like that. And I wiped out, and it's pure mud. I'm picking my way through here. I'm thinking, man, why am I doing this? And what was really annoying is they had a band at the far end of the power line. 
and I'm like the only one there, you know, while some people pass me and I'm like, they play this music and I'm just like, turn off the music. I don't want to hear your music anymore. And I was hitting the wall. I said, I don't know if I want to go on. But let's connect that to where we are. Maybe some of you are at your mile 22 right now. You might have gotten through a lot of other things uh, in your past, in your faith, that were difficult, and you made it through. But now something unexpected, like the mud flats, has come your way and thrown you off so that you feel like giving up. You might be feeling tired, but I want to encourage you not to because the alternative is worse. There's something very wrong about quitting a 26.2-mile race at mile 22. Brothers and sisters, we were made to run this race of faith and to complete it by God's grace. What we didn't see in that video clip there, after the wall, is that there's actually two other stages beyond the wall. Stage seven is called affirmation. And that's where you basically get to the point where you say, I'm not going to give up. And you resign yourself to the difficulties, to the pain, to the endurance. You say, I'm going to go. I'm going to keep on running. And then stage eight is the part we all like. That's elation when you cross the finish line. But to push through the wall and to get to that place of affirmation and ultimately to that place of crossing the finish line, uh, we have to do what those Hebrews were encouraged to do. First off, just keep in mind that we're not the only ones who have to run this race. Our races are not identical, but just like all those saints in Hebrews 11, we have to live a life of faith where we don't fix on what's immediate here, but we go past that and see that which is unseen. And we have to drop our dead weight. Sin, sure, but maybe even some of the neutral stuff, some of the good stuff that could be slowing us down or holding us back. And we need to copy Jesus and run in the same manner that he did, not turning away from the hard path, but choosing to keep on going to get God's best. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't just... uh, make a creation and then sit up in heaven and just say, do this or do that. Uh, But you joined in our humanity. It just blows my mind. Uh, So we just want to say thank you that you chose to run the race, that um, you made it personal for yourself, that you could be our great high priest. And it gives me great confidence knowing just like that song lyric said earlier, Lord, that uh, we have an anchor that holds within the veil. You did it, Jesus. And now you're asking us to run. So we ask for the the strength and the encouragement to keep on running. In your name, Jesus. Amen.